When it's cold outside, thanks to Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, you'll be warm and toasty inside. Right now, put no money down, no payments, and no interest for up to two years at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Visit PellaWI.com today. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Okay, first things first. Next Monday evening, it is the WTMJ Holiday Radio Show. It is back. We did the uh, table reading last night and... It's um, it's really, really good. I think this is this is the sixth, sixth or seventh year we've done it. And the first couple of years we did uh, it's a one our parody of It's a Wonderful Life and our parody of the um, Christmas Carol. And then we had some individually you know new produced ones. And and this year it's it's kind of a combination of everything. We call it a Christmas tale. I'm the actually I'm the narrator, and uh, I will tell you we were this is before we got a chance to punch up our lines. The the people who who uh, drafted the script, did an absolutely great job. It is really, really funny. And um, I am going to encourage everybody to come out and, and see this. This is one of our favorite events, at least one of my favorite events of the year. You can join your favorite WTMJ hosts and personalities, as well as we always have some special surprise guests. And this year is no different. This year, we're in the grand ballroom of the Fister Hotel. It is Monday night, next Monday night, November 28th. We call the program a WTMJ Christmas Tale. Tickets are on sale now. Here's what you do. You just go to our website, WTMJ.com, to purchase the tickets. They're 30 bucks. Um, ticket sales, at least a portion of them, help benefit Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Toy Drive. Included in the price of your ticket is valet parking, because I know that's always been a concern when we've done we've done these these productions at various places. This is our first year at the Fister, and I know that's always a concern. Well, gee, what's going to happen? Am I going to how much is it going to cost to park, etc.? Don't worry about that. Included in the cost of the ticket is uh, again the um, is again it's going to be the, uh, the the valet parking, so you don't have to worry about that. I got to double check this. Um, the show starts at six thirty, I believe. Doors open at five thirty. I got to get a verification of that, and um, you'll, you'll be out by eight o'clock. So it's and it's a lot of fun. We'll, we'll have a bar there, <laughs> and um, one of the great things is I, I love the opportunity to go out before the show and during intermission and kind of interact and get to see so many of you. And um, of course, my better half, my wife Fran, is going to be there as well. And um, she just she makes me better every day. And you, if you haven't met her yet, you'll get a chance to do that. So we, we really want to encourage everybody to come out. It's a wonderful cause. We have a lot of fun. And I'd really like to see the ballroom packed. Um, so here, here's the deal. The holiday radio show presented by Capco Metal Stamping, Drake & Associates, Dave Drake Camp Heating, and, of course, our friends at Gruber Law Offices. It is Monday night. Tickets are 30 bucks. But that includes your, your parking. Just go to WTMJ.com, and we hope to see everybody there. It is just, it's a lot of fun. And trust me when I tell you, this is, um, this is a really, really good show. It's a very funny show. A lot of, I had a lot of, a lot of laughs to be had. And, you know, the WTMJ players, my teammates always do a great job. All right. Let us get started. There, you know, there's a lot of commercials out there. You know, we, we talked a lot during the election about all the different, you know, election ads that were out there. And one of the things that I've always noticed when it comes to commercials is it, it, it's a lot of times it's tough to cut through the clutter. 
you know, you'll, you'll be watching TV and, you know, let's say you're watching live TV, like a sporting event or whatever, and the commercials come on and, and people, you know, you kind of just sort of tend to sort of zone out. That's just the reality. So it, it's a special ad that really captures your attention. There's one of those that is airing now, and and I'm going to describe the ad for you. You might not even recognize what the product is for, but you're going to recognize the ad. It's this ad. It's called Those Guys, and it starts off, and there's this guy wearing blue jeans, and he wakes up in the morning in tennis shoes, and he's got kind of like a sort of a Fu Manchu kind of mustache, and he gets out of bed, and he's walking down. First of all, in the 60-second version of the ad, he's it's just a really rude guy. There's two guys that are trying to bring a sofa upstairs, and he, like, gets in their way and squeezes by them. And then he's walking out the door of his apartment and there's a guy on crutches and he slams the door in his face. And he's he's looking at his, his phone the whole time. There's a mail carrier that's dropped all sorts of mail. The guy just walks all over that, doesn't help him out. You know, and it, it's one thing after another. And then the guy sits down on a park bench and he's laughing at something that's on the phone and there's this young couple that are kind of looking at him and then eventually they kind of walk away. But you know, it's the it's the classic rude guy you know don't be that guy and then the the telltale ending of the commercial is where the guy is looking at his phone not paying any attention he's got his headphones on and he just starts walking across the the street without looking and there's a car that's driven there's like four people in the car and all of a sudden it just slams on its brakes and you might remember the guy stands there and he kind of like looks at the people and he's looking at his phone he's like what what you know what what are you doing you know why aren't you watching out for me now if you remember the ad you might not remember what it's for it's actually a Volkswagen ad and it's highlighting that Volkswagen and it, they're self-braking cars and their technology you know it's, it's so you know this is this protects you from those guys the people that that walk in front of you you know, it's the guy is just you know, crossing without regard for safety or against the light or whatever. And I think it's it's just a great ad. It really kind of cuts through all sorts of stuff. But it does highlight this thing that's out there, that you do have a certain element of rude people out there who just they're, – they're either rude or they're just oblivious. You know, they're going to walk across the streets. They're not going to pay attention. They're going to take their lives into their own hands. But, of course, if you're driving the car and you end up hitting them, well, you're the one that's going to be in trouble, right? All right. Well, you know, we often say on this program, don't California my Wisconsin. There are ideas. There are good ideas and there are bad ideas. And then, at least in my opinion, there are incredibly – incredibly stupid ideas that you can't imagine that anyone would have thought of. And unfortunately, a lot of those really, really stupid ideas come out of California. Here is the deal. The governor of California, Gavin Gavin Newsom, who wants to be president, recently signed into law something called the Freedom to Walk Act. And I swear, I am not making this up. State law, the Freedom to Walk Act. Um, and for, for those of you who might hear it, it, it doesn't mean that if you're you know, upset in California with the, the leadership and the you know, rolling energy blackouts and the high taxes and all, it doesn't mean that you have the right to leave for you know, Texas or Florida. No. All right. No. What this is, is it legalizes jaywalking. No more tickets for jaywalking. As of January 1st, 
Californians will be able to jaywalk. In other words, they can cross the street against the light. They can cross the street in the middle of the street. There's no necessity to wait till you get to the curbs. You can do whatever you want. You can just walk across the road anytime you choose, and there will be no penalty at all for this. I swear, I'm not making this up. Now, cops, in their discretion, can still issue you a ticket if they determine that, you know, you create a hazard by crossing the street. But um, if, if you cross the street in the face of an immediate danger or hazard, you can still get a ticket. But otherwise, you can cross against a traffic light. You can cross outside crosswalks. You can pretty much do whatever you want. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. Now, you might say, Jeff, why, why would they do something like this? And again, there, there's a lot of different theories. One is that there is this feeling that the police were using jaywalking tickets to disproportionately impact people of color or things like that. So the response to that is we are now going to allow people to cross against the light, wander into the street, do whatever they want. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. As somebody who drives on a regular basis and looks at the insanity that we see on a regular basis from motorists and from pedestrians in many cases, I have to tell you honestly, I cannot think of a more stupid thing to do than to say, all right, cross against the light, wander out in the road, do whatever you want to do with no penalty at all. What could possibly go wrong? 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. All right. Is this something that Wisconsin should consider? Will the communities be safer? Will the communities be better? Should we now just allow, as a matter of state law, people to wander across the street, cross against the lights whenever they feel like it? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. Jeff, this is a horrible idea. Protects more stupid people. Survival of the fittest is dwelling down. We already have reckless drivers. Might as well have reckless walkers as well. One of our texters says, Jeff, newsflash. People jaywalk everywhere. Open your eyes. Now, my response to that is, so that means we should make it legal. Okay, so just because every once in a while people will look around and try to cross against the light or something like that, that means that we should encourage it and make it legal. Can you imagine? All right, can you imagine? Let, let's let's think about, you know, Pfizer form. Think about after a Bucks game and, and all. Just imagine if it's a situation where, you know, you've got all these people that are wandering in and out. We're just going to have all sorts of people walk across the road, you know, while traffic is, is coming the other way. What could possibly go wrong with that? And I understand that there's some degree of jaywalking that occurs, but that's like saying, well, you know, people speed on the interstate, so let's not have speed limits. 855-616-1620. Ron in Sheboygan. Ron, you're on WTMJ. 
Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. I just had two comments. First one is right now it's illegal to walk on the interstate highway and it's illegal to walk on railroad tracks. Could we condone that too and say, well, it's okay now? Yeah, I mean, well, well, why not? I mean, you know, why, why, why not? What could possibly go wrong with allowing people to, I don't know, you want to take a shortcut, just wander across the interstate? What could possibly go wrong with that, Ron? <laughs> right, good topic. Thanks. Well, I mean, it, no, it, and I, I understand you, you hear this, and I, I'm thinking that they can't be serious about this, but this is, this is now a state law that says that local communities cannot enforce no jaywalking laws will be allowed cross in the middle of the road cross against the light cross whenever you want um jeff no cop ever writes a ticket for jaywalking yeah, that's not true <laughs> that that's not true as a matter of fact the justification for this law in california is they were claiming that this is disproportionately used to ticket people persons of color so that that's that's the the, the complete that's the complete opposite of what the reality is. Gavin Newsom, who Gavin Newsom, who's the uh, governor of California, one of our texters says, and this guy wants to run the country. Lord help us. Well, yeah, I, I think you know that's it. Jeff is a frequent walker downtown. I don't disagree with the law. However, the liability should fall onto the walker. Well, okay, that's what you say now. But if you're legally now allowed to be in the middle of the street, it doesn't seem to. It seems to me very clear that by allowing people to cross against the light and allowing people to just walk out into the street whenever they choose, one of the effects of this is going to be more collisions. That That's just I, I think it is inevitable that that is what's going to happen. So then the question becomes, all right, where, where is the liability going to be? And if it's no longer illegal to cross against the light, well, everybody might better have that, that automatic braking stuff because you know that people are going to be walking out. There's going to be more car pedestrian injuries. You know there's going to be lawsuits. The personal injury lawyers have got to love this because then you're going to be saying, okay, well, nowadays, if, if you're if you're crossing against the light, you get hit. At least that that's somewhat of a defense for the motorist who's going, well, you know, I, I, I had the green light, and all of a sudden this guy walks out. Now that won't necessarily be a defense. Let's talk to Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Absolutely ludicrous. Your uh, analogy about speeding down the freeway was good. Like, let's just not enforce it. And, you know, no one, it's just another example, especially of California. Instead of holding people responsible for their actions, you try to dance around it and, you know, put the blame on somebody else. And all that's going to happen is some of these groups are just going to sue because the law is, they're going to say, oh, it's, you know, disproportionately hurting other people. It's like, it's so ridiculous. It's like, just say it's illegal and enforce it and enforce it across the board. If certain groups are hit more than others, that means they're jaywalking more than others. Well, it's, well, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Right. No, thanks. I mean, what is the logical effect of this? I, I guess that's that's the question. And and what what problem do we serve now? Now, maybe maybe I will be proved wrong. This law goes into effect in January. And maybe what will happen is there's not going to be an increase in pedestrian car collisions. But I, I just don't see that. You know, one of our texters says, correct me if I'm wrong, but don't pedestrians have the right of way? Not when they're crossing against the light, not when they're illegally crossing the street. I mean, th- th- this is the deal. You're dri- just and imagine you're in your car, 
you're driving down the street, right? You're looking ahead. You've got a green light, all right? You have the right-of-way, and all of a sudden you have some pedestrian who's emboldened who decides to cross out in front of you. Okay, you know, how many times do you think that's going to happen? It's already a, a, a minefield driving streets, you know, in urban America now, including Milwaukee and many other communities as well. You're watching out for cars. So now we are going to green light, no pun intended, allowing people to cross in the middle of the block allowing people to walk out from between cars, allowing people to cross against the light. I mean, that's and and this is what a legislature thinks is a good idea to do. You just wonder in the scheme of different ideas that you can come up with, who is it that really sits around and says, this is the problem that we need to solve? You know, we, we've got too many pedestrians that are getting ticketed for crossing against the light. Well, there's a reason they get ticketed for crossing against the light, because they're taking their life into their own hands when they are doing it. And this is a matter of, of just, I, I think it, it's simple safety. Why, why, why don't we just do away with stop signs? Why don't we do away with green and red lights? Let's just... Why don't we just turn it back into the wild, wild west and let people go everywhere? So here's the bottom line. If you are in California after January 1st and you are driving a rental car around San Diego or Los Angeles or San Francisco or Sacramento or wherever else you happen to be, you better be doubly, triply, quadruply alert because there's no laws against crossing against the light or walking out in the middle of the road. Hmm. What could possibly go wrong with that? Um, so yesterday, I, I was talking about the, the crime numbers in Milwaukee, as we do on a frequent basis. And for those keeping score, uh, the year-to-date homicides in the city of Milwaukee, 195. To give you perspective on that, the all-time high number of murders in the city of Milwaukee was 193, and that was last year. That was the all-time high. We're already at 195, and we still have, what, five or six weeks left in, in the year. So... We're going to be well over 200, just an unthinkable number, even a couple years ago. And and that's part of an ongoing pattern. I mean, in, in 2020, there was 190 homicides. 2021, there was 193. We'll be over 200 this year. So this violence is – and there's a lot of causes for violence. But the reality is it, it's it's out there. And it's affecting the, the city. And that's not the only crime number that's just out of this world. Uh, motor vehicle theft, over 7,400 cars stolen this year. That That's down from last year, but it's double where it was two years ago. I mean, it's just... It's just staggering the number of, of thefts that are out there. Non-fatal shootings. Okay, so anytime there's a shooting, it's but for the grace of God that it doesn't turn into a homicide. But we're, we're at 800 hot non-fatal shootings this year, 792 last year. So it's not just a question of bad luck. I mean, it's, it's whether it's the homicides or the shootings, they're, they're up. And it's affecting a quality of life. So I was talking about that, and one of our texters said, well, okay, you know, I, I understand that there's a problem, but, you know, what would be your solutions? And I said, well, my, my solutions are what I talk about on this program all the time. First of all, you need to flood. We need more police officers. Secondly, we need to flood the high-crime areas of the city with those police officers because the reality is while crime affects everyone. It affects certain neighborhoods more. 
That's just the reality. You look at some zip codes and there's a much higher crime rate than other zip codes. That's just the fact of it. And, you know, we can figure out why that is or whatever. But the reality is, you know, if you live in certain segments of this community, you are more at risk of being a victim of a shooting or a robbery than if you live in other areas of it. So, yeah, my solution would be, number one, more cops. Number two, flood the high crime areas with cops. Number three, go back to the broken windows theory of policing, which is essentially little stuff matters, because if you let the little stuff go, it leads to bigger stuff. And so that means, yes, we're we're going to be aggressive when it comes to small scale drug dealing. It means we're going to be aggressive when it comes to petty theft. We're going to mean we're going to be aggressive when it comes to vandalism. We're certainly going to be aggressive when it comes to car theft because, you know, it starts out with car theft and then it ends up in carjacking and all these things. So, yeah, I, broken windows, enforce the law, be aggressive. My fourth component would be pressure the courts and the DAs to just not look the other way when it comes to this stuff. Stop with the, we're not going to prosecute this. You're not doing anybody a favor by not holding people accountable. Because if you look at the numbers that are out there, the vast majority of people are law-abiding citizens. They just are. But crime, there there is a handful, and I don't know if it's 2% or 5% or 8% or whatever it is, there is a relatively small percentage of the community that commits crimes over and over and over and over and over and over again. And we're not doing anybody a favor by not holding these people accountable. You might think, oh, the George Soros's and the John Chisholm's of the world might think that, oh, we're being wonderful when we're being progressive with this, so let's slap somebody on the wrist or let's give them a second or a third or a fourth chance. It's not working. It doesn't deter these people from committing crimes, and all it does emboldens them and puts the rest of us at danger. So that's that's kind of my my solution. It's more cops. And look, I'll let people who are smarter than me work on the figuring out the root causes of crime. You know, why why is it that you've got the twelve and the thirteen year old that's decided that they're gonna go steal cars and stick guns in people's faces and, and take the cars and then lead them the cops on high speed joyrides? I'll let people smarter than me figure out why that's going on and what you can do long term to stop it. But my immediate problem is I'm sick to death of people being shot and people being robbed and people being assaulted and there's we're not we're not getting a handle on that which brings me to the story yesterday headline in the journal sentinel Milwaukee police have made slow progress to reform stop and frisk practices you know here's why and and then you know there was a lawsuit a couple years ago that said that that found that that black residents were 18 times more likely to be subjected to a frisk and 4.8 times more likely to be pulled over than white people last year. Hispanic and Latino residents were 2.4 times more likely than white people to be frisked after encountering police at a traffic stop, informal street interview, or another kind of encounter. So the the, the conclusion from that is you've got the, these police that are disproportionately pulling over persons of color. All right. Well, I'm, I'm sure there is an element to that. And under no circumstances should people be illegally stopped. Right. That, that's that's the constitutional protection. At the same time, though, 
If you look at where the majority, not all, but much of the crime is occurring, it's occurring in the majority-minority neighborhoods. That, that's the, the reality is if you live in, let's talk Milwaukee County, if you live in River Hills, is it possible that there's going to be you know, a, a shooting in River Hills? Yes, it's possible. But statistically, it's much more likely that that's going to be in some of the urban areas. And yet we have this. So the question I think we have to decide is, do we want aggressive policing or not? Because the reality is, if you do what I say to do, which is hire more cops and flood the high crime areas with cops, you are going to stop a disproportionate number of persons of color, for example, because that's where the crime is being committed. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. I, I have to confess, this has been a frustration of mine for decades. Back in another life, when I was a federal prosecutor, my last couple years when I was running the Organized Crime Drug Task Force, crack cocaine was a huge problem in the city of Milwaukee. And did they have crack cocaine other places? Yeah, but the big problem was in the city of Milwaukee where you had street gangs that were going to war with each other over street corners. Who would have the street corner? Who would control the crack cocaine market in this particular area? And it wasn't just the drug dealing. It was the attendant violence. Here, you know, this gang is moving in, and they're selling on this block. That's our block. Here, we're going to go shoot them up. And, and inevitably, it's not just the gang members that get in the middle of this. It was, you know, other innocent people as well. And, and I remember I'd get heat from time to time saying, oh, you just indicted 18 members of the Brothers of the Struggle Street Gang. Well, they're, they're all persons of color. And my, my response would be, well, yeah, my, my, my mission is to, is to you know, our, our goal is to try to, you know, take out the, these gangs that are dealing crack cocaine. You know, show me the street gang that's dealing crack in, in River Hills, and I trust me, I will be delighted to indict them. But I'm, I'm going where the crime is. So my question is, what do we want? Do, do, we want, do we want to flood the streets in the high crime areas with police? Do we want to tell them to be aggressive because the little stuff matters? Or do we just want to turn a blind eye? And if we do turn a blind eye, explain to me how anything is going to get any better. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Yeah, like I said, I, I, I'll... I'll let other people who are smarter than me figure out why it is that we, you know, have raised, you know, generations uh, of criminals. And, and that's just the, the reality. And, and I appreciate, I, and I really believe this, that there is just a very small portion overall of the population that's committing crimes. But those people that are, are, are doing it on a regular basis. And it seems to me, uh, and the only way we can really deal with this problem and crime crisis that we have now is to remove those people that are committing the crimes from society to protect the rest of us. And when they're removed from society, hopefully they will see the error of the ways. They will get rehabilitation when they eventually get out. They, they, they will stop stealing cars. They'll stop sticking guns in people's faces. They'll stop shooting other people. Hopefully that will, will be the case. But in the interim, what we know is that not removing them from the streets doesn't do anything. It doesn't make anybody any safer. And so I, I, I look at the, for example, the police that are talking about this. Well, you know, we're, you know, we've tried to be aggressive with law enforcement, but then, you know, the numbers show that we're stopping too many of this type of person or that type of person. No, I mean, I, look, 
I think the answer is go into the high crime areas, and I don't care what the racial makeup of the high crime area is. It doesn't matter to me if it's white or black or Hispanic. If it's a high crime area, that's where you need a huge police presence. And if I was living in that area, I don't know about you, but I would want the cops to be aggressive. I'd want to get the gangsters off of the streets. I'd want to get the people that are looking to steal my car off the streets. I, that's that's what I'd want. And, it, and, and crime isn't black or white or, or brown. I mean, crime affects everybody. And, you know, by not being aggressive, what ends up happening is you make people who live in these communities, the law abiding, the decent citizens, you make them prisoners of their community when, gee, you're you hear how many times. Do you hear these stories? What was the story we talked about yesterday? 138th and Hampton, 137 bullets fired into a house on 88th and Hampton. Hampton, of course, one of the major east-west thoroughfares that gets you from the east side out to Wauwatosa. 137 bullets. I mean, it's, again, I mean, the example I give, it's it's like the, the scene in the movie The Godfather where Sonny Corleone gets gunned down at the toll booth. It, that That's what it's like, and it happens on a regular basis. Don't we want the cops to be aggressive in identifying these people? Because my guess is the people that fired 137 bullets into that house, my guess is it's not the first time at the rodeo. Let's talk to Steve in Mequon. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hey, Jeff, I'm in a bad area, so I'm not sure if this is going to break up. My only problem with the mass incarceration aspect is I think that led to a whole new generation that we're paying for now in terms of the kids that didn't have a good family structure. And I think that's the big problem I have with that. I'm all for a heavier heavier police presence presence in those communities however i think we're we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot when we when we take the fathers and incarcerate them from a long time i think we're just breeding another generation and that's what we're seeing the repercussions from now in terms of crime of youth in the city of milwaukee but the problem though is guarantee that the majority of their fathers were incarcerated well i guess the problem though is well, but not incarcerating them doesn't work because if you have, right. it's in, and that, that's the, thanks for, I'm sorry, your, your self is cutting out just a little bit. See that, see that, that's, that's the problem. I mean, I agree. It, look, it's, it's expensive to put people in prison. It, it's, it's a matter of last resort, but I live in the real world. And, you know, the real world says this stuff isn't working, not incarcerating people, taking the John Chisholm approach of let's let's give people the first chance and the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance and the fifth chance. That hasn't worked. That that leads to the Daryl Brookses of the world, people with long records who um, wh- whether they're they're psychotic whether they're sociopaths, whether they're just criminals. Um, but if they're not deterred, they're just out there and they're committing more and more crimes. And like I say, if you look at the numbers, and I think there was a study, was it, I think it was by the Badger Institute, um, that, that just that just showed that it's, it is the recidivists. That's where you're getting a lot of, of the crime that's out there. And it, look, if, if there was a way you could figure out the early intervention, the, if and I, I leave that, like I say, seriously, to people who are smarter than me to figure out, okay, what can we do to reach the 13-year-olds to say, like, joining a gang is not 
That's not a recipe for a long, successful life. That's just the reality. And stealing cars and sticking guns in the faces of 65-year-old ladies who are walking through the parking lot of a pick-and-save or something like that, that, that's not a long-term successful life plan. If you could find a way to convince them to do that, I'm all in favor of it. Don't get me wrong. I, I think that that's great. Unfortunately, though, we are failing at that. So in the short term, we've got to make people safer or else we've got to learn to live with 200 damn homicides in the city of Milwaukee. And, you know, we talk about the problems in the city of Milwaukee and that's, that's where it's concentrated, but it spreads all over. You know, do you think that, that crime, the criminals in Milwaukee, do you think that they're, they're not out in Wauwatosa or Waukesha or Ozaki County or Washington County, you know, looking for targets of opportunity? Well, of course not. That they, they expand out to try to find more and more victims. I'm just saying it's time for us collectively to stop being a, a community of victims and recognize that you've got to hold people accountable. So, yeah, more cops, flood the high crime areas with cops, reinstitute a broken windows philosophy where we say the little stuff does matter. And we're we're going to crack down on the people that are stealing cars because we know, first of all, that that's a felony, that's a crime. But secondly, you know, we know that if you start off stealing cars, pretty soon you're going to be doing other stuff that is even more serious. So, yeah, we're going to crack down on that. And, and yes, we're going to end up replacing a district attorney to get somebody who really does want to put people in prison. And we're going to look at what the judges are doing. And if you've got judges that are refusing to hold people accountable because they're afraid that, gee, they're going to be accused of putting too many of this type of person or that type of person in jail, it, you need to stop seeing things in terms of you know, racial lines and look at what the crime is that's been committed. Unless you do that, I don't think you ever get a handle on crime. Okay, do the math. This year so far, 800 non-fatal shootings in the city of Milwaukee, 195 homicides. So 800, 190. Let's round up 1,000. Okay, so 1,000 shootings, either homicides or non-fatal shootings. That's out of a population of 569,000. Now, do the math, and, and, and that's, that's just – it's staggering – when you look at those just raw numbers, considering the total amount of our population versus the number of people who have been shot, and that, of course, doesn't count the, the stuff that doesn't result in somebody getting hit. It doesn't count the 137 bullets that are fired into the house on 88th and Hampton the other day because nobody happened to be home, even though the place is just riddled with this. And for anybody who doesn't think that this is an epidemic well, you need to, to wake up. And, and if your idea, if you don't agree with me that we need to flood the area with police and we need to start holding people accountable, then fine. Tell me what we do, because the reality is what's going on now just is not acceptable. All right. When we come back, once you're thinking 59 years, that is the final Jeopardy answer. What is the question? I'll give it to you when the Wagner Show resumes right after the news. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Alex Pro, now it's a party because, you know, Monday night we've got our holiday radio show coming up. Mm-hmm. I, 
my wife's ticket just came through. Oh, you there know, you so, go. So you know, it, it's you, you. It's it's always fun to see the WTMJ players, but when I bring Fran, you know, that's you know that that's <laughs> going to be when the party really starts. So she she will be there in the Fister Ballroom. That's going to be a fun one. I'm glad she'll be able to make it. She well, she would not miss this for the world. Yep, and everybody will come out and say, "Is that what Fran looks like?" Well, of course, more people know her than know me, so that's okay. That's a, <laughs> that all kind of works out. But it it is now going to be a party, and we want to remind everybody: we want you to be part of the party. Tickets are on sale now. The Holiday Radio Show is back. You can join your favorite WTMJ hosts and personalities. Actually, I have this is I guess what happens when you just hang around for a long time. I've got <laughs> I've got the I've got the big role. I mean, I'm I'm really? the narrator tonight. Yeah, I'm the narrator and it's it the script is funny and I get to punch it up a little bit more. So we're looking forward to this. Have you, know? you have you how many times have you read through it so far? Just one time. Last night we had the last night we had the run through and, okay. and there was the the authors did a really good job, but now I get to kind of add my own little personal Make touch it your to own. this. Well, Make it, exactly. I've been hosting Wisconsin's Afternoon News with Greg Matzig, and I understand he was one of the authors. I asked him if he was nervous that uh, the narrators would get to take it and make it their own after he put all the pen to paper. So I'm excited to see your interpretation well, of what he wrote down. Well, right, no, and actually, I said last night, they've got a lot of cute stuff, and they they actually, for me, they, they left various things where, you know, insert joke here or whatever. <laughs> so it's, but it, that, that's always been the fun part about it. And, you know, we've done it all over the area. This, I believe, is the sixth year that we've done it. We did it at Turner Hall. We did it at the Ingleside Hotel. I know one year we were at uh, the Italian Community Center. Mm-hmm. But this year, it's very cool. We're at the Fister Ballroom, you know, the grand ballroom of the Fister yeah. Hotel, which is just absolutely outstanding. And um, one of the things that I think that the people who put this together really understood is sometimes when we've done this downtown, people, you know, come down there and they go, well, well where do I park or whatever, or mm-hmm. you end up, you know, paying $25 to park or whatever. You don't have to worry about this year because included in the price of the ticket, and the tickets are 30 bucks. a portion of that goes to Cap Goes Kids to Kid Christmas. But, you know, included in that is valet parking. Yeah. So you do not, you don't have to worry about, gee, I'm going to have to drive around, you know, and I'm going to have to park a half mile from the hotel or I'm going to park and it's going to cost me 30 bucks to park. No, it's valet parking is included, so people should not be reluctant to come on down. Thirty bucks, you get a good show, you get valet parking, and you get uh, the donation in there. Sounds like it, a good time. It it, it it all works out. I think I got to double check this, but I believe doors open at five thirty. The show starts at six thirty, and we'll have people out of there by eight o'clock. So I mean, it's <laughs> no, well, well, it's also it's not like one of these things. It's yeah. gonna, you know, it's a Monday night. You know, it's I, I, I you know, I, I'm worried I'm not going to get home till eleven o'clock. No, 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 it's it's nothing like that. We. Um, and again, the proceeds go to a great cause, and uh, it's it's just it's always fun. This is one of my favorite events of the year. So, especially if you get to be the narrator, looking forward to seeing what you do with it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm well. That that's it. It's always it's always kind of fun. So, um, we want to encourage you. So, you might say, Jeff, that's great that you're talking about all this. Um, how, how do we participate? Well, it's really easy. You go to wtmj.com. Could not make it easier. wtmj.com, and you're going to see this big banner headline. That says tickets are on sale now. Click here to purchase. And you'll you'll just it's it's like magic. Just like my wife's ticket came through. It's just like magic, you know. So um we hope to see everybody there on Monday night. It's always one of our very, very favorite things. So um come on out and um say hi and participate. It's a wonderful cause. We're gonna have a lot of fun. All right. Before the break, I asked the the, the final Jeopardy answer was fifty nine years. And 
A couple of people, our text line exploded. A couple of people say, is that how long Joe Biden's been in politics? No, I, I think Joe Biden's probably been in politics longer than that, right? Because he just turned 80. So I don't know. Don't, don't know when he formally got into politics. Seems like he's been around forever. That may or may not be correct, but that is not the answer that I was looking for. Um, 59 years ago today, and I understand this is just something in the history books for a lot of people, but November 22nd, 1963, is the day that John F. Kennedy, President Kennedy, was assassinated in, in Dallas, Texas, and Lyndon Johnson became you know, president of the United States. There are, and by the way, a number, I'd say we probably had two dozen people who, who you know, rem- remember that. There are things that happen in your lifetime that you remember, I mean, vividly where you were. And we, we've talked about this before. If if you were if you were alive on December seventh, nineteen forty one, you you remember where you were when you learned that Pearl Harbor had been attacked. I mean, my parents um, who've you know, passed a number of years ago, my my parents they they would tell stories. They remembered you know how old they were and where they were when they heard the radio announcement at the time that you know the United States was going to war. Um, I think. Many of us remember, and we do this every year, I mean, we remember where we were on September on 9-11. It's just, uh, and, you know, we're, we're now, you're getting to a point where, you know, 9-11 is now two decades ago. And so there's another generation of Americans coming up who weren't, either weren't alive then or weren't, um, you know, old enough to understand and appreciate, you know, what happened on September 11th, 2001. But those of us who were around, we, we vividly remember that. And maybe I'm trying to think of other things as well, that the Challenger explosion, maybe, but um, certainly in my lifetime, and Pearl Harbor was before I was born, but I mean, I was a very, very young kid when um, the JFK assassination occurred. My parents lived in Pittsburgh. We lived in Pittsburgh for a year or two, and I believe I was in first grade. I vividly remember, you know, the the teacher coming in, and, you know, there was this conversation, and then they said, oh, President Kennedy's been assassinated, and then they sent everybody home. And I remember the, the weekend uh, and, and watching on this little black-and-white TV that we had, you know, all the, the coverage of the funeral and stuff. And if you were if you were around... Um, you, you vividly remember it. It was one of these, certainly in my lifetime, it's been one of the things that I think everybody who was old enough to remember does remember. So just, just one segment. And I understand, again, the Kennedy assassination is something of, of Oliver Stone movies and documentaries and TV shows for a large number of people. But if you were, if you were around then, on November 22nd, 1963, my guess is you have vivid memories of this. And even though I was a young, young kid, I remember it. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Okay, wh- where were you? Do you remember the Kennedy assassination and and your reaction to it? Because I, I will tell you, you know, if you were a child of the 60s, it, this, this was the precursor. I mean, I, I think it was just unthinkable. That you could have, just like it was unthinkable, uh, September 11th, it was unthinkable that we could have a terrorist attack on our soil. Terrorist attacks were stuff that happened, uh, that, that's, that was the IRA doing bombings, or this was, you know, that was, this is the stuff that happened in the Middle East. September 11th was just kind of unthinkable. And, and the, the idea that a president of the United States could be assassinated, that, 
that was unthinkable as as well. And of course, in the 1960s, this was just the first of, you know, we, we went from there and Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated. Robert Kennedy was assassinated in 1968. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. The assassination of John F. Kennedy, I believe, has informed so much, so much would be different if, in my opinion at least, if Kennedy had not been assassinated, that that is, it's really one of the seminal points, certainly in modern American history. We discuss in just a moment. Yeah, it's so good to hear Bruce and Jean back on the air. Great people. And we, we did the ad for the White Lace Inn a little while ago. I met De- Dennis. I've met Dennis before. But Dennis was down here doing the ads, and good to see him. They've been we, – we talk about 2001. White Lace Inn has been a sponsor of this program um, since 2001, and I certainly appreciate that. You know, before the break, I, I said we were talking about the Kennedy assassination. We're going to take calls in just a second. But, uh, you know, I, I mentioned that I think I think American history – would have been a lot different had Kennedy not been assassinated. And one of the challenges, somebody said, well, why? I I don't believe we would have gotten involved in Vietnam. I mean, I, I know we had advisors in Vietnam. I do not believe that John F. Kennedy would have escalated our involvement in Vietnam like, like Lyndon Johnson did for a wide variety of reasons. And I guess you, you could argue with me about it, but I, I don't think he would have. And, you know, if you look at so much that's happened in American history, it, it's been – it's been informed by by Vietnam. You know, we, we have the escalation in Vietnam and then you have the whole, you know, the anti-war movement and all the stuff that, that led that came from that and all the turmoil of the 60s and 70s. I just I don't believe that I do not believe that we would have had that footprint in Vietnam um, with if John Kennedy. I think John Kennedy would have taken a different approach than Lyndon Johnson and would have awakened one morning and said, look, this is just this. This is not this is not a fight that we can win, and we're, we're not going to escalate, and we're not going to send thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of American boys there. All right, eight five five six one six one six twenty. But I remember I was I was I think it was first grade, and I, I can I vividly remember being told that the president had been assassinated, and I remember that whole weekend of sitting watching Walter Cronkite on a black and white TV and watching the funeral procession. Let's start with Greg in Houstonford. Greg, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello, Jeff. How are you doing today? I am well, thank you. So do you remember where you were? Oh, exactly. I was in eighth grade in a parochial school, and the principal announced, like, it was like 1235. I looked up at the clock. He said that Kennedy had gotten shot. And then he came back a half hour later and said he was dead. So I remember that real good. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it it sticks out. Thanks for, oh, and, and by the way, if if you let me just give you a little little tip if you ever go to Dallas you have to carve out half a day or a day to go to the Texas Book Depository the spot where Oswald shot JFK and and by the way if you if you're there and and I've been there once and I want to go back again and and you you can see exactly where the window where the shooting is if you're there and you see it in real life, and you look at where the motorcade was and the car was, there, there's no question that Oswald acted alone. It, it's just that it, it makes, if you see it, it makes just eminent sense that, that that happened. But it's just an incredible piece of history. And like I say, if you're ever in Texas or in the Dallas area, you've got to go see it. Uh, let's talk to Glenn in Sheboygan. Glenn, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, nice to talk to you. Thanks for calling. Uh, so I guess I was couple years older than you. Uh, I think I would have been in uh, probably fourth grade, maybe okay. fifth. Uh, and uh, 
I was also a previous caller uh, attending elementary school at a parochial school, and I was one of those kids that lived close to school, so had to go home for lunch, right. and uh, some of the other kids stayed in school for lunch. And I remember going home and having lunch and not knowing anything and coming back to school after lunch, and one of my friends said, hey, did you hear about Kennedy? And I said, what? And he said, well, he's dead. And I said, what? He said, yeah, yeah. He got shot in the head. You know. So apparently they had announced something to the kids uh, that were in school at that point. And then I remember, uh, yeah, the teacher's you know, turned on the, the news in the afternoon, and we were listening to it. So, right. um, And I have to say, I agree with you uh, about the Vietnam situation in terms of where things may have gone under Kennedy. I, I think that that, yeah. uh, you know, you're probably right on with that. And also just wanted to say about 20 years ago, I was in Dallas, and I did have the uh, opportunity to visit the Grassy Knoll and uh, check that all out. And it's very interesting. And yeah. I'll tell you, um, I know you're, you're very matter-of-fact that, you know, he definitely did it alone. I guess I have a little doubt in my mind. I, okay. I, you know, some of the when you look at some of the issues there, uh, you know. Uh, all right, on. fair enough. No, thank, I, thanks for, I guess I just I I'm, I'm I believe I'm always a big believer that the the normally the the simplest explanation is is the accurate explanation. And I guess if you stand at that window where Oswald was and you look out and you see the, where the car was, I, I can easily see how that happened. You stand on the grassy knoll and stuff, and, and to me, it, you just have to make all these conclusions. But it's one of these these mysteries. I think um, one of these mysteries that's going to be there. Let's talk to Carol in Fox Point. Carol, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Carol. <laughs> I remember it very clearly. I was a senior at the University of Wisconsin, walking up Bascom Hill to my afternoon class and started meeting students coming down the hill crying, telling me school had been canceled because Kennedy had been killed. Yeah. Do you remember then watching like black and white TV over the weekend with the funeral and all that stuff? Uh, oh, I certainly do. Yeah, yeah no. I certainly do. No, thanks for calling. It was just, it was one of these things, thanks for the call, Carol. It was one of these things that was just, uh, again, absolutely, it was just un- unthinkable that an American president could be shot. And then, of course, the follow-up is that Lee Harvey Oswald is shot by um, by uh, Ruby just a couple days later. Sherry in Mequon. Sherry, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Oh, hi, Jeff. Hi, Sherry. Um, I love your show, first Thank you. of all. Thank you. And secondly, I was placing a call for my boss to Dallas to speak to someone in a company there. And it, the call was taking forever. And that was when you were, you know, using operators right. and stuff like that. And um, anyhow, she finally, after probably 15 minutes, came out on, back on the line and said, I understand the president's been shot. And the president of the company I was working for and the treasurer were walking past my desk when I told them, and they flew into the president's office, and I don't know if he had a radio or a TV or something in there, but I will mm-hmm. never, ever <laughs> forget where I was. Yeah. It's just, so, yeah. No, it, I mean, th- it, it is, it's, it's one of those, again, if you were, if you were around then, you remember it, and that, that, that's one of the reasons I want to do this segment because I, I'm, I, I never want people to forget nine eleven. And but I, I, I understand the Kennedy assassination for a lot of people is something that's just it's, it's a history book type of thing, or it's a movie of the week. But if you were around then, it is something that's just well, it, it stays with you forever. Tasha in Brookfield, you're on WTMJ. 
Hi, yes, I was in third grade at a Catholic grade school, and um, we had just come back from lunch, and I remember Sister Sean walking into our classroom, which typically the nuns did not disturb each other during classes, and she was crying. And she whispered to Sister Roman, who was my teacher, and my teacher started crying. And then finally they told us that the president was dead. And we did not have that pre-warning of, you know, he had been shot, there's an incident. We just got hit that way. But what stuck in my mind even more as a child, I mean, if there could be more of that, is that the entire city shut down. The mayor had declared that everything would be shut down because our president had been killed. And it was the weekend of the holiday folk fair. And I remember that they made some special declaration that because all of these people and these groups had prepared all of this food, and of course it couldn't keep, they let the holiday folk fair go on Friday and Saturday, and I don't even know into Sunday, but it, it, it was on. And my parents took us there on Saturday, as they did every year for how many years, so we would learn all these different cultures. And you could not move in the place because there was no other place to go right. because everything was shut down and it was just packed. The auditorium, the arena, you could not move in the place. And then the third recollection I have is that we never missed Mass on Sunday. Church was Sunday you went. If you were sick, you sat in the back pew, but you went to church. And, of course, we were watching TV, and what was they were moving Oswald from one place to another, and then, of course, that happened. Right, Jack Ruby. I remember my mom <laughs> saying to my dad, well, are we going to go to church? He goes, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going on, because everyone was so aghast as to what had happened. I mean, as if we didn't have enough already that it happened, and now this shooting with Ruby and Oswald right on TV live, yeah. it was an amazing weekend. It, it, it was. That. No, and thanks for that. It sticks in your memory. We're, we, we, have, we have a huge response to this, and so we're going to do this for just one more segment, and we're not going to spend the whole next half hour, but a lot of people want to react to it. And, and again, this is 59 years ago today, President Kennedy assassinated in Dallas. I mean, do, do you remember that and, you know, the, and the fallout of it? All right, let's take a quick break. Back with more in just a moment. Our, our last caller was talking about how you know everything was closed because of the, the, that weekend, because of the Kennedy funeral, and she was talking about the holiday folk fair went on. One of the most controversial decisions in the history of the NFL was made that weekend by Pete Rozelle, who was the commissioner of the NFL, who's largely regarded as the guy that was turned, it ended up turning football into the national pastime. He made the decision to go ahead and play NFL games on Sunday, and that was an incredibly controversial decision. Um, we were talking about Jack Ruby shooting Lee Harvey Oswald. That happened about a half hour before all these NFL games were scheduled to kick off. So, you know, Pete Rozelle, matter of fact, to his dying day, that was one of the big questions that people asked him. Did, you know, in retrospect, do you think you made the right decision to play football on that Sunday after the Kennedy assassination? At least a couple of people want to argue with me about my belief that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. And I look, I understand there's all sorts of conspiracy theories that are out there. I just don't happen to be one of the people that, that buy it. And it, I, I guess we're going to never know for sure. But one of the things that I would always point out is we're, we're, we're now talking about you know, going on 60 years. If if there was some massive conspiracy to assassinate the president, the idea that somebody somewhere would not have come forward with definitive evidence to establish that with all these people looking seems to me to be well just just a stretch i mean i just there would have to have been a lot of people involved and i just find it difficult to believe that that nobody would have have talked in a meaningful sort of fashion but i again i 
I appreciate that there's all sorts of different theories that are out there, and I understand that you can go into all sorts of Kennedy assassination rabbit holes. I, I choose not to do it. I, I think, and especially, in my opinion at least, having been to the Texas Book Depository and been in position to look out that window where Oswald was, I, it, to me, you can see how it could have all happened. But, um, you know, who knows? Let's see. A number of our texts, uh, we've just exploded with um this, Jeff, I was a senior in high school. It was announced in business law class while we were having a test. School was let out about an hour and a half later. They waited until they could have the school buses to pick up us rural students. Some of the students and lots of the teachers were crying. I'm sure now they would have had grief counselors. Yeah, I, I remember a number of, of our teachers that were crying as well. Jeff, I was in second grade. My teacher told us about Kennedy. They dismissed school early. The whole class left school crying. Jeff, I was in fourth grade when this happened. We, as a group of students, went our way back to school from lunch in the neighbor lady's car. I remember it because there was a lot of noise in the car, and she suddenly turned up the radio and exclaimed that the president had been shot after we were back in the classroom after lunch with an announcement that he had passed away. I remember as a young lad watching the post-assassination coverage with my mom when Jack Ruby shot Oswald on live TV. My mom let out an emphatic screech I'd never heard before never heard from after um, her. Um, Jeff, although I was only three that day, we have home videos of my third birthday party, which was two days later, and the profound look of sadness in my parents' and grandparents' faces was so evident. My dad was holding up the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, Milwaukee Journal at the time, with the headlines of JFK's assassination. That is forever etched in my memory. Jeff, I was in kindergarten and too young to grasp things. I remember all the TV channels had JFK things, so I was frustrated that I couldn't watch cartoons for many days. And of course, this was this was the time before the internet. This was the time before cable television. So, you had you had two or three you had three broadcast networks, ABC, CBS, and NBC, and you had PBS um, in some parts of of the country, and other than that, that was that was pretty much it. Maybe you know local stations had your your UHF channel, your channel eighteen, or your channel twenty four, or something like that. But but if you were getting your news, you were getting it from Chet Huntley and David Brinkley, or you were getting it from Walter Cronkite or whoever ABC had on at the time. But fifty nine years ago today, President Kennedy was assassinated, and you do you do wonder. You know what what the world would have have been like, and again, I don't believe he would have gotten us into Vietnam. And if, at least, I do not think he would have escalated Vietnam like Lyndon Johnson did. And if that happens, <clears throat> then you kind of wonder what what does the rest of the '60s look like if you don't have the the student protests and the student revolts, and you know, in, in situations like that, what what does this do? Is Martin Luther King still alive? Is is Robert Kennedy still alive? It just there's so many different questions and so many different what ifs that are out there, but certainly a seminal moment in in American history. All right, when we come back, gambling is bad, so should we do more of it, and why do we do it in the first place? I'll explain. We'll discuss. Sometimes we, we get texts that I just don't don't understand, including somebody who says, why do you think that Jack Ruby shot Lee Harvey Oswald? And <laughs> my response was, I 
don't understand your question. <laughs> it's, I mean, because you, you can argue whether Jack Ruby w- was paid by the mafia to to do that. And, you know, if you want to go, the conspiracy theory is that, um, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald was an instrument of the of some foreign government or, you know, was that was working with the mafia and the foreign government. And then, you know, Jack Ruby took him out to make sure that he couldn't tell what the real plot was. I mean, if you want to go down the rabbit hole, that that was that. But I don't think there's much question that Jack Ruby shot Lee Harvey Oswald since he did it on television in front of everybody. All right. Let us switch gears. Five years ago, if you wanted to place a bet on on a sports, on a game, you essentially had a, a handful of choices. Basically, you, you had to go to Las Vegas, and you had to find a casino in, in Las Vegas. That, that was, there, there were a couple exceptions. Maybe you could find some isolated places, but in general, that, that was it. You, if you wanted to do sports betting, you had to go to Las Vegas. In 2018, the Supreme Court overturned a federal law which made sports betting illegal on a, a federal crime. So they, they tossed that out, and then they kicked it over to the states. The New York Times has been running a fascinating series of articles about what has happened over the course of the last three or four years. It is now legal in 31, let me see, 31 states and Washington, D.C. They now permit sports gambling either online or in person. And five more have passed laws that will allow such betting in the future. So in the very near future, you have 36 states and the District of Columbia that are going to allow sports betting um, in one fashion or another. And some of it is like in Wisconsin, you're going to be able to place bets, but you have to go to one of the Indian casinos. But in many states, it, all you have to do is you, you, you pull up the app and, and you can bet on sports you know, um, via your app. And one of the things that the New York Times has been doing, it's actually good, is it's talked about how the the gambling industry, once the Supreme Court committed this opening, just moved in big time. And they recognized that there was B as in billions of dollars to be made. So you had these lobbyists that just descended on one state after another, promising them riches. Okay, here, if, if you legalize sports betting, it's going to generate all this tax revenue. So far, those projections have turned out to be pie in the sky. Those projections of revenue coming from sports betting have turned out to be kind of like the projections we had about what the ridership on the hop was going to be, you know, just sort of out of, in many respects, pulled out of thin air. The people that are making the money, of course, have been the people that, you know, run the the various betting sites that, that are there. But right now, 31 states. Soon it's going to be 36 states. One of the things that's been driving this as well is because for years and years and years and years, the the sports leagues, the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, they opposed sports betting because they were afraid that this would lead to the corruption of their game. You know, they, they didn't they didn't want people paying off the players to throw games or things like that because if that happened, once you got the gamblers involved in this, what would happen is, okay, would, would people trust the integrity of the games? Well, a couple of years ago, the various sports leagues realized that 
there was a lot of money to be had by doing this. And as a result, now you see the leagues that are partnered up with these various sports betting sites in a way that wouldn't have been thinkable even three or four years ago. So the genie is clearly out of the bottle. Now, the point of the New York Times story is that a lot of these promises – it's like the old Simpsons TV episode, monorail, monorail, monorail. Well, you know, here, you know, put in the monorail and all this great stuff is going to happen. And it never does. So far, it's been, all right, look, we, we've got all this sports betting, but all this money that was promised and taxpayer relief isn't working out. And the only people that are really making money are the lobbyists, the politicians who've gotten in bed with the gaming industry and gotten all these donations and things like that, and the, the people that, that run the betting industry, and the leagues to an extent, because they share in some of it. And there hasn't been much conversation at all about you know, what the long-term effects of this is going to be. Now, if you're a regular listener to this program, you know that I, I'm not an anti-betting guy. I mean, I, I go to Las Vegas, you know, once a year, maybe twice a year, and I have been known to place a bet on horse racing or sports or, or whatever. But for most of us, it's just it's an occasional hobby. Gee, you're, you're there. OK, here, I'll, I'll place a bet on the basketball game or I'll place a futures bet to see how the Brewers do this year or something. But for other people, it, it's it, it ends up being something that they end up not controlling. My question, our number is 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. All right, 36 states now or soon will allow some form of betting on sports. Some states it's easier because all you need is the online app and you can place the bets. Others you actually still have to travel to the physical location to place the bet. But this, the genie is out of the bottle. The last three years there has been an explosion of this. My question is, is this good or is this bad moving forward? Will we come to regret the idea that in the name of generating a little bit of tax revenue, we have made it legal for people to, I don't know, bet what they want to bet on various sports games? 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. I understand the genie is out of the bottle. I think, though... I think we are going to come to regret making it as easy as we have made it to, to place bets. And I would not be surprised. Matter of fact, one of our texters makes a reference that I was going to do. I would not be surprised if this push to legalize and rush to normalize gambling, well, I wouldn't be surprised if five or ten years from now this becomes the opioid crisis of the 2030s. 855-616-1620. What do you think? Things are awfully loud. It glides as softly as a cloud. Is there a chance the track could bend? Not on your life, my Hindu friend. What about us, Brendan Slobs? You'll be given cushy jobs. That's the monorail episode from The Simpsons. Where, and again, the, the plot, they, you, they come out, they, they promise people all these things, and it never materializes. At least so far, the promise of legalized gaming and you, the industry is, is big. The gambling industry is back there. The, the people that, that run the, the fan duels of the world, they're in there pouring tons and tons of money, and they're pressuring the legislators and they're having these big the, the big story in the new york times about how they got this through in kansas and all the different perks and stuff that they did for the legislatures to get it through and, and how at least so far the, the promise of tax dollars hasn't followed it through well okay i mean i guess the argument is if you know people should be allowed to do what they want to do 
On the other hand, though, if the only people that are really making money out of this are the gambling operators, is this going to be a good thing? And I, I'm not an anti-gambling guy, but I really do think moving forward, um, I, I think what we've done now, I think this might be the opioid scandal of the 2030s as we start to look at all the problems we have created with problem gambling. Let's talk to AJ in Hales Corners. AJ, you're on WTMJ. Yes, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Pardon my voice. I'm suffering from the plague. <laughs> um, my my opinion is something different than most. I think the problem is, and I won't tell you the source of this information uh, under the Fifth Amendment. <laughs> okay. But anyway, um, the problem with the commercializing sports betting is they'll take your rent money. If you bet it, a yeah. bookie, on the other hand, because he doesn't want any trouble with the wife, will cut you off yeah. if you're over the head. And that's that's the problem with legalized gambling across the board. They'll take your rent money. I've I've seen it in my in my job, and uh, they take your rent money. Yeah, well, no, I mean, no, I mean, thanks, AJ. Thanks. I mean, that that is one of the problems with problem gambling. That if you've got other forms of addiction, there, there's only there's only so much alcohol you can drink before you pass out. There's only so much many drugs you can take before you you know you pass out and you stop. The thing with gambling is, and and you talk to people who have gambling problems, and they'll they'll tell you that you 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 can do it twenty four seven. You can keep betting. You can keep betting. You can keep betting until you you've essentially wiped yourself out. Now I look I I appreciate you can make that argument about anything. You say okay, well Jeff, just because there's alcoholics, does that mean that you know you, you shouldn't be able to walk into a bar and have a drink? And I would never make that argument. My concern, and this comes from somebody who's not puritanical when it comes to gaming and who does go to Vegas from time to time, my concern is that we've, we're rushing into the, the, inter, the world of internet gaming where people can place bets on absolutely everything, where we're encouraging people to place bets on absolutely everything, and there, there's almost no safeguards. It's kind of like the wild, wild west that's out there, and you know there's going to be people that uh, abuse this. My only point is, if we're doing this based on this representation that's going to generate all this huge tax revenue, well, so far, we're, we're not seeing that. And you wonder whether people are being sold a bill of goods. And I'm not anti-gaming. I, I'm, I'm not. I, I'm not. But I am really concerned with this vast expansion of gaming, how quickly we've seen it, and how it appears to be generating profits for a very, very small group of people. And it's certainly not the betters. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. Alex Crow. before you go, are you into the World Cup? You've been following this? Yeah, you know, I found out I'm not as much into it as I would be like the Olympics and stuff like that, but I still watch it here and there. You know, it, it's just... We, we have in our Avenue studios, we have giant TVs all mm-hmm. over. And because, uh, again, of the sports relationship we have, the, the soccer games are on, football games are on. <laughs> you know, oh, let's let's get the right term. But it is it's sort of cool. I, I met the most interesting guy yesterday, James Moran, and he runs Moran's Pub in South Milwaukee. And okay. he, actually, Scafidi had him in because he was doing an interview. We were just talking about what for, like, the, the British pubs and things like mm-hmm. that. Interesting guy, been in the United States for 25 years, and he, he came up and introduced himself to me. I was waiting to go on the air, and he just 
said he'd been listening to me since I started here at WTMJ. But we got to talking about the, the bar and all. And he said, yeah, that people come in for soccer, but the World Cup is a, is just a big thing. The place gets packed and all. Yeah, yesterday, uh, earlier today was Mexico versus Poland, obviously a very big uh, immigrant area in uh, Milwaukee and obviously Chicago as well. So there were a lot of people around these Midwestern parts that were up early to watch the Mexico-Poland game earlier today. I think, and I think it would be fun to find a place like Moran's Pub, free, you know, for, you know, just a free message for him or whatever promo for him. But I, I think it would be fun to go find one of these football slash soccer bars mm-hmm. and just kind of hang out with the people who are really, really passionate about it. Because I bet you it'd be really, very cool. Yeah, but if you want to sit down, you better get there early because those places have been packed for the last three days, like standing room only as everyone watches the game. So well, I don't mind. I don't mind standing as long as I can get a beer. Right? As as, and I'm, I'm sure I could probably as long as, as long as I can get my Guinness or whatever. I watch that. So I, that is that is kind of on my list, and I I just my, my schedule is kind of full coming up with different things, but. Would be kind of fun. Something something sounds like fun about like nine o'clock in the morning or something. You know, showing up in some bar to watch a soccer game. Yeah, normally it's during the summertime, so it makes it a little bit easier to uh, to do that. Right now it's in the holidays. You got your schedules packed, like you said. But normally you, you sure it's middle of summertime. Why not go at uh, seven a.m. and go to catch a catch a game real quick? I like your thinking. I like <laughs> your thinking. So yeah, the World Cup uh, runs pretty much through this this month, and you know there's going to be a lot of interesting stories about that. All right. Something that runs through the end of the week. Now, if you are a regular listener to this program, I, I confess, I am, and I've made, made, made no bones about this, I am not a hunter. I just, I, I, my family did not hunt. I didn't grow up with the deer hunting you know, gene, and I, I've, I've never done it. I've, I've just never done it, and for a variety of reasons, and this isn't, I, have, I understand why people like it. To me, it's, it's, it's just not something that I have any interest in doing. But I appreciate, you know, what an important part of tourism deer hunting is. I appreciate the family tradition of deer hunting where, you know, you've got the dad and you've got the brothers and you've got your, your children. I mean, and I think that's very, very cool. And it, it's something that's great for Wisconsin. Now, we've talked about this before. Part of the problem and the, the number of deer hunting licenses over the years that have been issued have, have has decreased. And part of the problem is for a lot of people, they've gone year after year after year with, without seeing deer. And and I mean I and I by the way, I mean I understand, and we've talked about this before, I understand there's this appeal of, you know, go, going out to your, your hunting cabin with your your friends and having that camaraderie around deer camp and things like that. But at the same time the the ultimate task is to try to Get a deer. And if you go year after year after year and don't get a deer, don't see a deer, at some point in time, it's kind of like, okay, well, you know, why, why are we doing this? And that's always been one of the challenges. Now, this year, at least the preliminary numbers are, are a little bit different. Um, here's the most recent number. The opening weekend registration of deer included oh, about 56600 bucks which is 14% more than last year, and 46,985 antlerless deer, antlerless deers, which is a 17% increase. All four deer management regions in the state showed higher year-over-year registrations. Um, the number of deer licenses, gun deer licenses, that is, dropped this year, but but only slightly. Um 
Hunters bought 421,000 gun licenses so far. That's down 3% from last year. But but again, it's just down slightly. But the, the bigger thing is the number of deer, which is taken at least on opening weekend, is up and I would say significantly, 14% more than last year for the bucks, 17% more for the antlerless deer. Antlerless deer. I think that's a, I, I think that that's a, a positive sort of trend. Now, some people in the DNR are saying, well, that, that increase, this last year was a bad year. And what this is doing is getting us back to normal. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. All right. It, it, is deer hunting back? Are there more deer out there for the hunters? Is it easier to take them? Because again, if this if this industry is going to survive and thrive, what you have to do is, you know, I mean, I understand you can go for a year or two and not get a deer and, and you're bummed out a little bit, but it's it's not going to necessarily mean you're going to stop doing this. But if you go for five years or you go for 10 years and you never see a deer, that that at some point in time you get discouraged and you say, hey, I'm going to go bowling or something else. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. All right, the number of, at least opening weekend, the number of deer that were taken is up, I would argue, significantly from last year. Is this... Is this part of a trend? Are we turning things around, or is this just a, a blip, and does the industry still have more issues that it faces? What do you think? Deer Hunters of Wisconsin, I am curious. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Okay, preliminary numbers from last year to this year show about a 15% increase in the number of deer that were taken over opening weekend, which is great news, absolutely great news for hunters. So are, are we are we turning the corner? Because this has been the conversation that we, we've had for the longest time. Fewer people taking the deer hunting licenses, fewer deer being taken. All right, have, have we turned stuff around? Jeff, my husband just got back from deer hunting in the North Woods. He got a buck, and he also got a buck earlier in the month bow hunting in Ozaki County. He said this is the best year ever because he saw many other deer while he was out in the woods as well. He commented it was even worth sitting out there in the cold weather of opening weekend. There you go, 855-616-1620. Jim in Milwaukee. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Good. What's going on? What do you think? Yeah, I'm coming. We hunt in northern Marinette County, and you know I think the numbers are up significantly because we get the mating season at its peak this year. Mm-hmm. We had good snow cover, even though it was brutally cold. But I kind of laugh. I've been hunting my whole life, and we have cameras set up on our land. I've seen more deer in the last couple of years than I have in a long time. But yet, you listen to all the people on these Facebook sites saying that there's no deer because the wolves and the bears are eating them all. They're there. It's just too many people hunt within 100 yards of the road, and they don't want to get in the woods where the deer are. Okay. Have you, I mean, are, are you able to take a deer pretty much every year? I passed on a few. I'm, I'm pretty selective. I'm not a trophy hunter, but I like, the, I like the venison. But, you know, I'm a little selective. I probably... Between bull hunting and gun hunting this year, I probably passed on a dozen deer. Okay, okay. Well, that's good news. I mean, no, thanks to call. That's, I mean, that that's that that is definitely good news uh, because I mean, one of the big complaints that you've heard, especially I, th- I remember doing a couple topics related to this last year, where it was just the, the people were just frustrated 
with, again, going out into the North Woods and, and saying, okay, this is like the fourth year in a row that we spent all the money, and we've driven up to wherever we, we've been. And yeah, it was good to hang out with the guys, and we like doing this, but we didn't even see a deer. And so it's like, okay, why are we driving all that way to, to do this? So that that's why, I mean, there at least has to be that that opportunity that's out there. I, I do think he's on to something. This weekend, aside from very, very cold, there were kind of ideal conditions. I mean, you had a little bit of a snow cover, so it was easier to track the deer. But um, if you were out there, you were also extremely brave. I know my um, son-in-law, Darren, he, he got a deer. You know, he, he got a deer, I think, on opening day. So that's, you know, I mean, that's a, a great thing that's out there. You want to have the hunters be rewarded. Let's talk to Mike in Cedarburg. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Good, good, good. Yeah, I. you know, this year it really seemed like there was kind of a renewed optimism. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of, of Paul Smith and his work, too, mm-hmm. um, with the newspaper. And, uh, you know, he wrote a great column about it. And But I think in our camp, too, you know, we have a certain amount of excitement every year, and this year we did see more deer. It was brutally cold, but um, yeah, I just think overall, I think maybe we're maybe we're turning the corner a little bit. It couldn't have gotten much worse. Yeah. So it was it was bad. I mean, we went probably twenty five years without shooting a buck. Twenty five so, years. Wow! And you kept yeah, coming so back. 20, you you you, you yeah, must. We did, we did. Well, okay. What? Okay, I'm curious. No, seriously. So, so if if you're talking about yeah. decades, what was it right. that got you going back year after year? I mean, I, I would have given up. I I I admired your stick-to-itiveness. Right, right. I I would have quit a right. long time ago. Yeah. Oh, exactly. I mean, how many how many activities do you do? Um, you know, where you have no success for 25 years. <laughs> it's it's about family. It's about yeah. tradition. Um, it's a, it's also about supporting the people in these small communities. Yeah. I mean, we, we hunt up around cable and we know that, you know, the bars, restaurants and so on, that they, they really rely on oh, yeah. a solid week this week. So there's a lot of, it's, it's a cultural piece. It's a traditional piece. Um, as well. Why else would you return year after year after year, right? Absolutely. Thanks. I mean, of course, I, I ask that the same question about golf. I mean, I played golf all my life and you never master it, but at least with golf, you have, you have that occasional moment um, where you okay. I was having a I I, uh, I was down in Florida last week and I, I played really really well one day and the second day I was kind of struggling and then all of a sudden I hit this really nice shot and it ends up like about four feet from the hole and you go oh there's nothing to this game so at least there, there's that one thing that keeps coming you back it keeps you coming back but I do confess that if if I was going hunting and I went two decades without being able to, to get a deer, I'm not sure I would have had that kind of stick-to-itiveness. Jeff, I used to hunt years ago. I loved it. I live in Pleasant Prairie now, so I have no place to go. My brother lives up north, an hour or so north of Madison. He hunts every year. He gets three to five deer. We love the venison. It's great meat. Um, they didn't for allow, for years allow deer does to be taken, so now they do, and those are the deers that are there. Jeff, this year's funny. I'm the opposite of the people you're talking to. Normally, my area is loaded. This year, nothing, not even anything on our camera. Jeff, there are obviously more deer. Just look at the side of the road. Driving from Waukesha to Eau Claire a few weeks back, I bet we saw quite a few dead deer on the road. Well, you always have to be careful about that. Look, bottom line here is this this is, this is great news because our last caller was pointing out, correctly so, the the tourism industry in Wisconsin— 
of which deer hunting is is a part of. I mean, it's this is big for a, a lot of the up north communities where you know they depend on the revenue that's generated this week from the deer hunters that come out and do that. So it, it's it's a good good thing. And if this is in fact a turnaround, and if these numbers stay the same, I, I think that that's going to be absolutely great. I mean, I appreciate what a tradition hunting is. I appreciate what a fabric, how important this is to the fabric of, of this state and how important it is to the economy of the state. And I hope these numbers really hold up. And for people who don't have their deer yet, well, you still got a couple more days. Interesting text. Jeff, I believe if you have a passion for your hobbies, you will never give them up. And he was referring to one of our callers who was saying he, he was hunting for 25 years and didn't see a deer or didn't get a deer. And I, 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 I guess my response is kind of yes and no, and, and sort of it depends. I mean, look, I, I'm old enough to remember when the Green Bay Packers were just awful. I mean, just absolutely awful. After the Lombardi years, you know, where you had the, the sort of the wilderness years of the 70s and the 80s and the early 1990s and until Ron Wolf and Brett Favre and all that. And, and people didn't give up. People were still fans. So, I mean, I guess you could say, okay, well, it, people didn't give up being Packers fans just because the team was, was bad. Uh, at the same time, maybe that hobby I get. On the other hand, if you, let's say you, you, you grew up and you liked to fish. Um, but if you, I don't know, you, you spend day after day or year after year and you're, you're going out and you're fishing off your pier and you don't catch anything. I, I don't know. It's kind of tough to, it's kind of tough to at least keep doing that same thing. Maybe you find a different place to fish or whatever, but in any event, it, it does seem like it's good news for, uh, the, the deer hunters this year. All right. I want to remind you one more time today because we want to, we want to really pack the place our holiday radio show is back. This is, I believe, the sixth year we've done it. You can join. It's Monday night. I think doors open at 5.30. The show starts at 6.30. We're done by 8 o'clock. Um, it is at the Fister Hotel next Monday, and included in the $30 price of the ticket is valet parking. So don't let those concerns, oh, gee, if I come to downtown Milwaukee, you know, what's going to happen? Where am I going to park my car? How far am I going to have to walk? No, no, no. Valet parking included in the cost of the ticket, so you do not have to worry about this. This year, the WTMJ players are putting on a WTMJ Christmas tale. I actually... I have the this year. I guess if you just hang around long enough, it it becomes your turn. I I have the principal role this year, and we're going to hope to do that fun. Tickets are on sale now. Um, proceeds, or at least a portion of the proceeds, go to benefit Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Toy Drive. It's the WTMJ Holiday Radio Show presented by Capco Metal Stamping, Drake and Associates, Dave Drake Camp Heating, and Gruber Law Offices. How do you get the tickets to join myself? And the WTMJ players on Monday night, well, it could not be easier. You go to WTMJ.com and you just click on the big banner and um, we, we just kind of take it from there. So hope to see you Monday night. And we know it's going to be a party because I said earlier, I just my, the ticket for my wife came through. And whenever my wife shows up, you, you know it's going to be an absolute party. You can pretty much guarantee that. Right, Alex? Yeah, Fran's going to be there. It'll be a fun time. Fran is going to be there. Get ready to rock the house. Tomorrow, we'll talk about the Joe Biden, who's essentially said to people who owe money on their student loans, we're going to use COVID as an excuse, and you just don't have to pay them. And he's now announced that he's going to continue the you don't have to pay for another six months. And it's just, 
we'll, we'll discuss it in greater detail tomorrow. But it's just amazing what happens when you never, never, let's never let a good pandemic go to waste. And the whole justification behind this, we're going to suspend stuff is because, oh, there's a pandemic and people have lost their jobs and all. Well, it's, we're past that right now. All right, here's another breaking news story. And it is some more Bad news, I guess, for former President Donald Trump. The Supreme Court today has just announced that they are going to allow a House committee to obtain the tax returns of President Trump. The um, the how this House committee, which right now is controlled by Democrats. Now, once once the new Congress is sworn in, that is going to change. But they had um, they had requested or demanded the production from the Treasury Department of Trump's tax returns. Trump, of course, has refused to make his tax returns public, um, something that no modern president has done. I think you've got to go back to Nixon before that happened. Um, and so that the House Ways and Means Committee asked the Treasury Department to provide them. There is a law that gives the Ways and Means Committee the authority to see the documents. Nevertheless, Trump refused to allow the Treasury Department, which is under the control of the executive branch, to turn over those records. There was a lawsuit. Um, ultimately, the courts ruled that the Ways and House Ways and Means Committee was entitled to the documents. Trump was trying to run out the clock because if he could continue to delay this until Republicans take over control of the House in January, Maybe they would withdraw that request. But um, today, the Supreme Court has said, nope, you, you have an obligation to turn over the um, records that the House Ways and Committee, Committee can obtain them. Now, what's going to happen here? It, and what, what Trump has been saying all along with, I, I think, in this particular case, I, I think there's probably a degree of accuracy to this. He's been saying, look, this is a political witch hunt. There's no legitimate purpose for the House Ways and Means Committee, law or no law, to want to, to have my records. And all they're doing is they want to you know, take this and turn it around and use it for political purposes against me. And I think there's probably something to that. Now, of course, this could have all been avoided if Trump had done what every other modern-day president had done, which is um, – uh, again, you know, made his tax returns public. But anyhow, what, what's going to happen is now those tax returns will be provided to Congress. And my guess is it'll take all of about, oh, about 15 seconds before some Democrat on the House Ways and Means Committee gets those records, which are supposed to be private. And then they find their way to MSNBC or the New York Times or the Washington Post or whatever. So in any event, um, I think that's, that's going to be the next story is that uh, Trump's tax returns are going to be made public. Whether there's going to be anything in them that is newsworthy, I guess time will tell. But that's, uh, that is going to happen. The other just, just comment that I have is I oftentimes I say, I hate to, to say I told you so, but sometimes I, I did tell you so. I am fascinated by this story of the, the failure of this outfit called FTX. Now, if you think back to the Super Bowl in January, the dominant ads, and you can always tell what the hip and trendy thing is. Sometimes it's car ads. Sometimes it's beer ads. Well, this Super Bowl, it seemed to me like every third or fourth ad was an ad for cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency, without going too far into the weeds, cryptocurrency is an alternative to our money system. 
And it's the, the idea is that you there's all these different types of cryptocurrency. Bitcoin would be one. Okay, you buy Bitcoin and you pay a thousand dollars for a Bitcoin or whatever this might be, and then you know you then turn around and you hope to find somebody who's willing to pay you fifteen hundred dollars for the the Bitcoin, and that's how you 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 make the money. The Bitcoin in and of itself has absolutely no value. This always struck me as a giant Ponzi scheme. You know, you have, you're taking stuff that has absolutely no value and you're trying to say, okay, well, we're going to create this alternative monetary system. And so, but it, at the end of the day, it was always dependent on you buying something and hoping that you could find somebody else that would pay you more for this thing on the belief that this thing was going to increase in value. Never made any sense to me. And I admit, I, I found, some of the commercials to be misleading in the extreme, you know, the ones where you've got Matt Damon walking through and, and talking about all the different, th- these are the different inventions we had. And if people didn't do this, you know, we, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be on the moon if there did, people didn't have foresight. And so that's why everybody who says that you don't, shouldn't get invest in these cryptocurrencies, they just don't know what they're talking about. And then there was the ad with Larry David from Seinfeld, who was you know, just mocking people. Well, you know, that they said, you know, when, when we introduced the wheel, people said, don't do this. And the implication was that you were a Neanderthal and you were dumb and you were going to miss out if you didn't invest in cryptocurrency. Well, okay, FTX, which is um, a cryptocurrency exchange, kind of like a, a Charles Schwab or something like that for, for cryptocurrency, has collapsed. Um, just absolutely collapsed. Um, it says it owes creditors at least $3 billion. And you have all these small investors that in, invested in their cryptocurrency through this exchange, and it, it, it's gone. And it's a practical matter. They're not going to get any of it back. Well, the problem, of course, is that unlike investing in, I, I don't know, like a Charles Schwab or, or something like that, where you have all these different rules and government regulations and deposit insurance and things like that, but there, there's nothing like that. So what you had is this this FTX, this, this giant exchange that was apparently taking people's money, and then they were using other they were using people's money to make you know loans and risky investments, and now it, it's all gone. And so it's had a huge impact on the crypto market. And I remember when we talked about this after the Super Bowl, I had people calling up saying, "Oh no, you're missing it, Jeff. This is this is the wave of the future and everybody who's not investing everything they have in this, well, they're going to be really sorry." Well, I I, I Maybe it's all going to turn around, but I'll stick to stocks and bonds and mutual funds and things I understand. And if you invest in a company, at least that company is making stuff. I mean, you or they have things to offer. You invest in Disney. Well, okay, Disney's got, you know, its streaming services and Disney's got its theme parks. You, you know that there's things that they make that people want to buy. Cryptocurrency, sorry. And again, if, if you're... If if you're big into Bitcoin, big into the different cryptocurrencies, and this doesn't scare you off, you know, go with God. But um, I don't think this is a surprise, and my guess is it's going to get worse before it gets better. When we come back, let's get funky. I'll explain. Yeah, we're getting funky. But it's not funky music. I'm talking about the comic strip, Funky Winkerbean. Winkerbean. Now, I... I 
I, I freely acknowledge that, and we talk a lot about the demise of newspapers and things like that, but I, I firmly believe, and I've said this before, that for parents out there, one of the greatest gifts that you can give your children is the gift of reading. I, I think that you know if you can inspire in them a, a love of reading, that'll take them a long way in life. And I, I mean, I, I grew up, I make no pretense about this, I mean, I grew up as a kid, I started out reading comic strips in the newspaper, and I graduated to comic books, and I used to collect all the comic books and read these. And and, and then, you know, from comic books, it, it led to reading other stuff. And But I, I have this passion for reading that, that carries on to, to this day to the point that in, in any given week, depending on what the books are, I, I mean, I, I read two or three books, you know, a, a week, or at least I, I try to. And not every—some of them are just like light popcorn books, but— but it all started by me reading comic strips, and that's, that is actually something that has continued to this day. And as part of my regular routine in the morning when I sit down and prepare the show, one of the things I do is I, I read them online nowadays, but I have there are about 10 or 15 different comic strips that, that I read. And, you know, several of them are in the local newspaper and you can, you know, download them when you go to the, uh, through the internet. One of the comic strips that I got into a long time ago is a comic strip called Funky Winkerbean, which it, it was, it was started in the early 1970s and it, it focused on uh, kids that were in high school. And I was in high school in the 1970s and I, I've been reading this for going on 50 years. And then what the artist and the creator has done is at a couple different times over the years, he did what they would call time jumps where all of a sudden he would just advance the storyline 10 or 12 years. And, you know, with the idea that, gee, I'm not going to keep the characters, I'm not going to keep the characters as children or high school students for, you know, all the time. Here, I'm going to move them up 10 years, and we're going to show, you know, where they are, and then I'm going to move them up another 15 years. And it's been interesting, and the storylines are, sometimes they're funny, sometimes they're serious. He's dealt with issues like cancer and dealt with issues like dementia and things like that. Well, anyhow, the creator is a guy named Tom Badiak, who... um it started out in Akron, Ohio, and he has announced that at the end of the month, he's wrapping up the comic strip. And and after 50 years, he's going to be ending the daily comic strip. He says he's going to maybe publish some new stories and stuff on, on his website. But, he, but he's backing away from this after 50 years. And I admit, I, I'm sort of, I'm very bummed out. He's, he's wrapping up this thing, but it's been a part of, my, you know, daily reading, you know, that just, just on a daily basis, you check in and, and some of the strips are more interesting than others. And some of the storylines are more interesting than others, but you get to know the characters and you get to relate to the characters and you want to see what's going to happen. And now 30 days from now, after 50 years, these, this, this comic strip is going to go away. And will, will I get over it? Yeah. But do I have this sense of disappointment about that? Absolutely. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the acunate, that's the WTMJ talk and text line. Look, I, um, we only have a couple minutes, but I, I guess I love these comic strips and I have some regular comic strips that I, I read on, on a daily basis. Okay. Are you addicted to comic strips? And if so, you know, what, what is your favorite? For me, you know, hands down, I like Funky Winkerbean and, uh, it's just I I can see that they're starting to wrap up storylines and things like that, and I'm a little bit bummed out. Now that doesn't mean that you know I'm not going to still continue to read comic strips and stuff. But even to this day, and, and maybe it's just a throwback to when I I was a kid. But I, I've loved these comic strips, 
And I, I continue to this day to start my day reading the funny papers, 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. Um, somebody, somebody says, what about Crankshaft? It's a spinoff. Yes, it is. The Crankshaft uh, comic strip is going to be continuing. That is my understanding. But um, And they say that some of the funky Winkerbane characters might be making appearances and crossovers. But, yeah, 855-616-1620. I admit, I'm, I'm addicted to the comic strips. Let's talk to Dave in Pewaukee. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. Okay, you love the comic strips? My favorite, com- My favorite comic strip is Prince Valiant. I've been reading that forever. Do they still, do they still, this is a dumb question, do they still even, do they still have Prince Valiant? Is it just on Sundays or? Online. Okay, online. online. Yeah. Yeah, no, I. There's a half a dozen that I read during the week. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. No, I, I, um, right, and, and Prince Valiant, of course, has been around forever. And I remember that the, the intense, you know, I used to read that a lot. I used to read it when it was in the local newspaper. But right now, I mean, a lot of stuff. You, you can just find online. Uh, let's see, Jeff. I remember reading the last Calvin and Hobbes. The emotion was on a par with a loved one dying. I can feel it now. It was wrenching. A testament to the depth of touch the comic reached. Yeah, Calvin and Hobbes, um, that was an incredibly popular one as well. And I understand from the perspective, well, in the case of the guy that writes Funky Winkerby, he's 75 years old. He's been doing this for 50 years. And there is, I, I'm sure there's, a lot of pressure. He's not the artist. He's the creator. And he, I think he, then they have said, so apparently the guy who was the artist who actually drew them said that he wanted to retire. So he figured out that this was a good time to do it. And I am sure that the daily grind of having to produce new material seven days a week, you know, 365 days a year, I, I'm sure that that, that, that's hard for people. Jeff, I certainly have my favorite comic strips, Crankshaft, Zitz, Luann. I like Luann. Family service, a circus, and I used to love Beetle Bailey and Peanuts. Well, everybody loves Peanuts. Jeff, for me, it's either Dilbert or Garfield. Uh, Jeff, for me, it's Pearls Before Swine. Yeah, Pearls Before Swine, that's, that's one that you have there as well. Jeff, I've completely lost touch with comic strips, but back in the 70s, I loved John Darling, which looked fun, made fun at all the media moguls and celebrities of those days. Well, John Darling, that comic strip was by the same guy that does Funky Winkerbean. Uh, Jeff, for me, Calvin and Hobbes absolutely loved it. John in Wapaka. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey there. Uh, I was going to say, uh, definitely uh, Charles Schultz and Peanuts is my favorite comic strip, but I did want to add, I interviewed uh, Tom Baddock years ago about uh, Funky Winkerbean, and he was such a great guy, and he actually sent me a a sketch for uh, my wife's uh, wedding with me, so... uh, Uh, with the character, so just a wonderful person. Oh, that's great. Thanks for calling. And, and again, it's, I just, I, I mean, I don't know what it is about these, these comic strips and the characters that connect to you, but I, I mean, he was ahead of his time because, again, he did some of these time jumps. Some of the comic strips, Peanuts, and I, I love Peanuts, but Peanuts, they, they, they were perpetually young. He decided, look, I, I want to, I want to show these characters growing up. I don't, I don't, I don't want to do 50 years of these are the same people and they're stuck in high school. I want to take them through life. And sometimes that, that had a degree of tragedy. Some people said the comic strip was depressing from time to time. I never found it that way. I just enjoyed it. But in any event, um, 
if you if you love your favorite comic strip, keep loving it because you never know when it might end. For me, Funky Winker Bean pulling the plug at the end of the month, at the end of December, that is.